Eric Whirl. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Because it's our show and And not not yours. yours. You caught me off guard because I was like in process of spinning around and you're just like, hey, everyone. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, I'm so sorry. It was not my intention, obviously. That's why it was all weird. So... Hey, this episode is obviously hey, scrapped. Mm. Oh, okay. Are we going, just going to go home? Yeah, let's just go ahead. After everything we went through to get started today. Oh, my goodness. Sarah. I know. Um, no, we're here. We're first here of to all, do this. hang on. I mean, if this is your first time yeah. listening to the podcast, stop. stop. Go back. Go back start to the beginning. beginning. We tell everybody every week. You know that already if you've been here. If you've listened to every episode, you've heard that that's what we do now. And uh, you would get to this journey with us. But you need to stop and go back, listen to episode one, Grumblethorpe to my mouth a little bit. Really, it's uh, it's it's clutch. Everyone who gets here, they all tell you that that's what you should do. They agree it's, with uh, us. It's what the cool kids are that's doing. What all the cool kids are doing. It's what all the cool kids are doing. So yeah, go back, listen from the beginning, and catch up. And then, you know, that's what's up. And then you'll be here. Hi, and so we'll say welcome Hi, back. Welcome Thank you back. for being on this journey with us. I'm in a very, like, sing-songy mood I noticed. Today. Oh, there it goes. Most of it is just to the tune of "Don't see, don't be suspicious." It sounds like. Don't I was be like, it does sound like "Don't be suspicious." Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. What are you trying to not be suspicious about? I don't know. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited about things. Things like, are good. Tell the people about because you're starting next week, right? I am. I am. That's not what I thought you were telling me to tell the people oh, tell about. Tell the people a little bit about yourself. I'm excited about a lot of things. And next week is the start of Halloween nights. Well, it's the start of the training. Yes. The event opens September 24th on a Friday. I will be there. Will you be there? Not you, Sarah, no, necessarily. I'm not, but you, I'm the not listener, working. will you be there? <laughs> we open September 24th, but next week I start my quote-unquote training, because I've done the event before, for Halloween nights at Eastern State Penitentiary. I'm very excited. It's going to be bigger than ever, but also, you know, socially distant and safe and masked. And I'm wondering if I only have to get makeup on half my face. I'm kind of, I'm, it's kind of exciting. It's interesting, Because yeah. then that's half the work to take it off at the end of the night. <laughs> but it's a really, really, really exciting, amazing event. I can't wait to do it again, and I hope that people will come out and see it. It runs from September 24th all the way to, like, November 6th, I think. It usually runs the first or second weekend of November as well. Yeah, but it, it goes runs for a long time. From the end of September all through October. Mm. And I'm working most of it. And, uh, yeah. I'm Except super, for super, her super birthday. Excited. Except for my birthday. Don't I will go not on her birthday. be there on October 7th or October Don't. 8th. Because that's my, my B-Day and the following day. So, yeah, that's what's up. You should come see that. And Sarah is doing a show. I am. We open in two weeks. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Ask me if I'm ready. Are you ready, No. <laughs> <laughs> no, with all that being said, it's, uh, it is going to be very exciting. It's going to be very fun. We're just down to the last two weeks. And today or tomorrow is our off book Day, which is always very scary as an actor is you don't have your script in your hands anymore. Everything's supposed to be memorized. I hate it. And we have a six-hour rehearsal. 
and just pray for me, y'all. I'm praying because I am so nervous about being off book. We have not rehearsed in two weeks wow. because of vacations and summer, and so we're coming back after a two week break, and we're supposed and to be then off you book. You open in two weeks, and then I open in two weeks. Okay, it's very scary. Break a leg, but the show is gonna be. Great. It's called The Secretaries, and it's about a murderous cult of secretaries. Um, it's going to be awesome. It opens – oh, hold on. These are out, which is our yeah. little postcards, which has the exact date. It is September 17th through October 3rd, three weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Tickets are available online. It is outside, socially distanced, and you can bring food and drink and just have a grand old time. Fuck it up. It'll be good. Be real good. So come check it out. And we have flyers floating around Mount Erie now. Yes, bitch. It's cute. It is cute. You're cute. You're cute. How's it going? That's what we're doing. What? I said, how's it going? Oh, you know, I got off book tomorrow. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the rest of my night will be spent. Yeah. Memorizing lines. I got a <laughs> I got August and September's uh ghost fart to draw up. I gotta get, yeah, like, yeah. get on that. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of editing to do, but, you know, so is life. These are the things we do to keep you happy, listener. <laughs> are you happy? Do you like this? How are this? you, listener? How, How are, are you? you? Are you doing all right? Some of y'all, you know, you hit me up, you don't hit me up. It's whatever. Some of you I know in real life. Some of you I don't. No. We do get have a very the, supportive listener base. Lovely little friendships with people that listen to our podcast. It's fantastic. Via the Instagram. It is. And How are you? That's exciting. I mean, I feel like we covered how we are. We did. I mean, we we did. You know, we always we always hang out before we come upstairs. Oh yeah, we already covered a lot of ground, y'all. And but you, know, you don't need to know all that. You don't need to know all of it. I'm excited about things that are to come. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll be good. Things hey, are, Stephanie. Hey, Sarah. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. Hi. Uh, hi. Hi. Hey, Sarah. Hi. How are you? You already asked me that. I know, and I'll ask it probably it's like one a more reflex. time before we're done. A three times makes a comedy. <sighs> yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? What's on second? <laughs> Oof, I don't know. Third, Third base. base. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, hey Leslie. Leslie. Y'all, Y'all ready, ready to, to talk, talk about, about some ghosts? ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? What a life. Sarah, what are you talking about today? What is our life? Let's talk about people who are not alive. Um, I'm talking about a ghost. Shocking. I know. It's like, this is what we do. Is it screaming or laughing? Neither. I'm switching it up. Because this week, I feel like, <laughs> has been a shit show on this planet. Just everything... Sucks, everything hurts, and we're all slowly dying. My office building is underwater. I didn't talk about that in banter. Yeah, we flooded here in parts of Philadelphia, which is where Stephanie works and not far from where I live, closer to where I used to live. And, you know, climate change is real. It's happening around us. People are still not getting vaccinated. The Delta variant's getting worse. For whatever reason, they don't want to protect their kids in schools. Things are awful. Don't even get me started on women's rights. So what I decided to do this week. I... It's not, I a, used, it's not a week she's proud of it. Some weeks she's amped. She's like, that's right. I'm from Texas. That's exactly and, what I was going to say is I'm usually very proud of it. Right. And, and this is not. a week where you're like, I am so not. This is a week where I will tell everyone 
I don't live there anymore. And I haven't for seven years now. I feel like I say that a lot about North Carolina. People are like, you know, don't you just love it there? And I'm always like, well, I live here. (laughs) I was like, I don't live there. Well, I I moved away, didn't I? If I could remove the people from Texas and just have the landscape. The blue bonnets. Beautiful. Gorgeous. I love it. You put in the people and it just all goes to hell. Woof. Tell me about it. So Tell me about this ghost. What I decided to do was do a happy ghost story. Okay. So this is a friendly ghost. Oh, that's nice. It'll lighten it up because it mine, mine's it up. not light at all. Okay. <laughs> well, here's your, here's your tiny here's reprieve your where we're going to talk about a friendly ghost. Here's first. And uh, I, it was very fun to Google happy hauntings. Okay. Um, happy ghost stories. I did do a few because I was getting like fiction stories. I think a band has a song called Happy Haunting. Okay. And I was like, oh, this isn't what I'm looking for, but like cool name. And I found this. Okay. And this is the Queen Anne Hotel in San Francisco, okay. which is still currently operating and you can stay there. Get it, girl. Tonight. I don't know. They might not have any availability. I, I can't get there tonight. It's a Thursday night. I don't know. San Francisco? How far is that? Just across the country. Th- today's Saturday. Well, I guess when they listen When to the this. episode comes out, it's Thursday. That's fair. I was trying to continuity. I'm so sorry. You want to delete that clip or you just want to... You know we're just going to Let me get it. shamed. <laughs> <laughs> on I a Thursday night. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> you do this on a Thursday night. The Queen Anne Hotel in San Francisco. It was built in 1890 as an elite girls boarding school and it's called the apparently the architecture style is like the queen anne style that it's a very big victorian home it looks beautiful um but just this huge victorian place but what would it be without some drama drama and the drama is the woman who ran the school the headmistress her name is mary lake and it was rumored that mary lake was having an affair with a senator. All right. People thought that because this senator funded the building of this house for this headmistress to have this boarding school. And people were like, why would he do that? That's kind of suspect. You know why they thought it was suspect? Because this guy, the senator, who's named James Slippery Jim Fair... So good old with a name like quote slippery Jim. Good old slippery Jim had been known to be a little bit of a philanderer, Mm. and he was known to be flirtatious and they said charismatic. And ultimately, his wife divorced him, and so people were like, "Ooh, now he's found his new mistress, this Mary Lake, because his wife is divorcing him. Look, he built her a school. Can you believe that? Scandalous. They must be sleeping together. Okay. Mary Lake, of course, was like, no, I've talked to the man maybe 10 times in the past year all about this school that I want to have built. And he denied it as well. But it uh, doesn't help things when the newspaper in the area publishes an article titled Cupid and Mr. Fair, all about the quote-unquote alleged and rumored affair. But nevertheless, 
Until her death, Mary Lake said she had nothing to nothing do with Slippery there. Jim. Slippery Jim wishes, which he probably does. She seemed like a lovely woman who put her heart and soul into this schoolhouse, and all of her kids were said to have. She's just like, I'm not her. saying he didn't try and hit it. He didn't I'm try, saying but like, he didn't mm-hmm. hit it. She's like, I just went out to dinner and had a few good conversations with him, and he just gave me all of this money. It's called an arrangement. She's like, I dropped my fork and, like, leaned over to pick it up. That's the extent of how much he saw under this dress. That's it. But he gave me this money, and I'm not going to turn it down, so... Anyway... We're both seeking an arrangement. Seeking an arrangement, and it's our arrangement. It's none of your business. Unfortunately, though, the financial strain caused the school to close in 1896, so it only ran for about six years. Between then and 1980, so 19 or 1896 to about 1980, the building exchanged multiple hands, being things like a brothel, it was a church, and at one point some secret society had rented it out, and no one knows what they were doing in there. Yeah. I don't think it was the Masons, because I feel like they would have said the Masons, but I'm assuming something similar to the Masons. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Uh, and then in the 1980s, it became a hotel, and that's where we are today. But we wouldn't be talking about it if we weren't talking about ghosts. Or if there weren't any ghosts, and like I mentioned, it's a friendly ghost. So here's a breath of fresh air, though, because this ghost is incredibly friendly and is not there to try and scare you. And what else would you expect from the upstanding headmistress of an elite girls boarding school? They believe that our ghost is none other than Mary Lake herself. Even though she died and is buried 3,000 miles away, they believe that she came back to her boarding school And that's who they think it is. So what she likes to do is she apparently likes to help keep the hotel tidy. And she is known for unpacking guests' suitcases. So they'll put their suitcases down, they'll come back, and their clothes will be unpacked, folded on the bed. Which is nice, I guess. I wish if I had that situation, I would be like, girl, I hope you pack it back up for me because that's where the real help comes in. I can unpack anything, but I need you to like, repack this you know I don't think she does that though she's been seen by countless people around the hotel and she's described as being a mist like woman in period clothing so she's just but she's not screaming she's not laughing if anything she's also been reported to softly sing to you as you go to sleep I don't know if I like that she doesn't take requests though (laughs) Room 410 has the most activity, and that's where Mary's office used to be. So that's why they think it has the most activity, or that is. But the other thing that guests report is the feeling of being tucked into bed by someone who isn't there. One guest even woke up in the middle of the night and found themselves on the floor with the bedding tucked neatly in around them. So here's my question for that situation Did they fall out of bed while they were sleeping? Were they wasted and fell asleep on the floor or did Mary push them and then feel sorry and then tuck them in? <laughs> she's like, get she out of here. She pushed them and then she saw them on the floor and she felt bad about it. And she's she like, tucked I'm, them I'm in. I'm so, so sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry here. That way you'll be warm. I hope it's number three. <laughs> but of course, because this is a working hotel, I did what any normal person would do. And I went to the TripAdvisor reviews. 
Yeah, you fucking did. So in that two- is what you do, though. If it's a hotel that's still going, like you, that's what you have to do. You go- and especially, I feel like if you're looking at something that's supposed to be haunted, and this is on like a San Francisco walking ghost tour, so I'm like, people are gonna write about their experiences, and they did. In 2017, a guest wrote, "We knew nothing of the hotel being haunted." I half awoke one night to experience a feeling like someone was tucking me in and gently pushing on my collarbone. It wasn't a scary experience. It was comforting. And in 2018, a woman said, Around 6.30 a.m., we were downstairs waiting for our Uber. The doors to the breakfast area were closed and the lights off were inside. No one else was down there except for my husband, I, and one employee. It was cool, so there was no air or AC on. As I was fixing my last cup of coffee, the door to the breakfast area opened by itself. Mm, no. Which I believe is Mary just being like, oh my God, come in here. Let me feed you. You look hungry. Get in here. You Girl, look come hungry. Here, let's hang out. What you doing? You need some breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. Didn't and you're like, ugh, Mary, it's proven to not be real. <laughs> it's not true anymore, Mary. She's like, come in, have some eggs. Guests also report the usual ghost shit. Cold spots, footsteps, strange reflections in the mirrors as they pass by them. Your usual. But overall, it seems as though Mary is just out there hanging out, hoping to make guests comfortable. Doing her thing. And that's what she does now? Just being very sweet. Yep. And as I was looking through the TripAdvisor reviews, it looks like she's maybe going into retirement because she's not as active and she tends to only show herself to people who, like, aren't looking for her. Typical. Classic. But it's still a, a working location from what I could see. COVID didn't get it. And it's absolutely beautiful. Very kind of has an old-timey Victorian feel, but gorgeous. Do you want to go there? Are you trying to stay there? I don't know. I think I would rather stay uh, somewhere else. Where's the other house that I said we should do a live recording in I mean there's the one up in like Bucks County but was there another one that one that's the one yeah Hillview Manor would you I would go there no Queen Anne's is cute but it's nice it's a friendly ghost it's not scary there was your intermission your reprieve um and now we're back to the bullshit Stephanie what are you talking about so I'm gonna talk about some true crime some murders. All right. Um, I want to put this out there right now that, like, you know, we talk about true crime all the time. But just content warning because all of the murders that I'm going to talk about are of women or girls who were sexually assaulted and then also subsequently murdered. The reason I'm talking about them is because I want to talk about all, all of the cases that I'm talking about, in which there are five, are cold cases that were actually solved in 2020 thanks to genetic genealogy. Ooh. So uh, first we're going to say that genetic genealogy is still pretty controversial. So that is the act of taking DNA from like a crime scene, taking your DNA evidence that you already have in the database, and then using it and comparing it to DNA that has been submitted to public genealogy tests, like on your AncestryDNA.com, 23andMe, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that was how they found the Golden State Killer in 2018, was like his daughter or his son had submitted to AncestryDNA, just trying to find some genealogical links, a family tree. They were like, this could be fun. And ultimately, DNA that was used by law enforcement officials that had been compared to DNA from sites like that 
found a match and it pinged that the person who had submitted that DNA was related to the Golden State Killer. And that was ultimately how he was found. So uh, it's still very controversial and it's still very new. But because of these developments, people are solving all kinds of cases that before were like the books were closed. Like Mm -hmm. they had run out completely of ideas or how to solve these crimes or who had committed them. Oh, I love it. Let's go. So I wanted to put that forth. Um, So are are these all done by the same murderer? No. Oh, okay. These are all different cases um, from around the country, and one of them is in Canada, um, that were solved specifically within, like, 2019 to 2020 in that time range. And there was also, before they started doing that, back in 2016, is when they started to use uh, what they called genealogical phenotype. So that's when they would take the DNA, and based on the DNA, they would come up with what they thought the person looked like. Like, Mm. basically, they could put the DNA in a computer and be like, okay, this is probably a white guy who's (laughs) with, you know, this color hair. His eye color is probably somewhere in here. His height is somewhere in here. But taking the DNA and kind of, even though you can't say this is, you know, Bill Thompson's Mm -hmm. DNA, you can say, like, okay, this DNA matches somebody who probably looks roughly like this. So the combination of those two things, having a phenotype and then being able to have a family tree where you're like, okay, they're probably related to this person and they look like this. Um, Hit their family albums. Let's go. Right. Now, so this is how, this is why it can be controversial because we like to think that people have a right to privacy as well. And this is a hard thing to think about, right? Because I'm like, yes, people are entitled to privacy, but at what cost? Yeah, like how far? who gets to decide where the line is between, like, public safety and the right to privacy? Mm -hmm. Now, in this case, these people are all people who sexually assaulted and murdered. So, like, obviously, I don't don't give a shit about their privacy. privacy. Right. Um, (laughs) But that is why it's controversial. And, like, okay, like maybe me and this person look really alike and we're related and the, we line up in the family tree. Like, could somebody wrongly be convicted? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a scientist and I don't do this work, but I'm just telling you the issues. Mm-hmm. But moving forward, we're going to talk about some cases, some cold cases that were solved through the use of uh, genetic genealogy. Okay. Okay? Okay. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is the murder of a woman named Jennifer Watkins. This was in November of 1999. She had just started working at the Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado. She was a dietary aide. And when I say she just started working there, she'd been working there less than two weeks. Oh, wow, yeah. She didn't come home from work one night. Oh, no. So her husband called the hospital, was calling the police, trying to figure out where his wife Jennifer was um, when she didn't come home from work. And ultimately, her body was found. A couple days later, there were two men who were basically elevator repairmen. And they were coming to work and do some routine maintenance on the elevator. When they went into the elevator shaft, they smelled a smell. And ultimately, they discovered Jennifer's body that had been left in the elevator shaft. Mm. So her husband was investigated, but ultimately he was deemed not a suspect. He didn't seem suspicious to them, but, you know, they always got to talk to the husband. Yeah. They had absolutely no leads in the case, and this became a cold case within a few months, and there was no new information. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. That poor husband. In 2017, the DNA that they had from the crime scene was used to create a phenotype. 
So they used the DNA, and they were like, we think the guy looks roughly like this. Blonde white guy, blue eyes, rough facial shape. Like, this is generally what we think the guy looks like. And in 2019, they used genetic genealogy to find a link in a family tree. And it ultimately led investigators to a man named Ricky Sievert. Now, I'm going to show you the picture that is the phenotype Mm -hmm. next to what was Ricky's driver's license photo from the year 2000. So the picture on the left is the phenotype. So this is, and we'll put this on our Instagram. Yeah. Um, But the picture on the left is the phenotype. So that's the computer image that they were like, he looks roughly like this. Yeah. And the picture on the right is his driver's license photo. I would think that those two people were brothers. Right. Yeah. It's pretty on. It's it's not wildly inaccurate. Yeah. For white people. He looks like a Chris. Put that out there. He does. Sievert was a 29-year-old maintenance worker at Memorial Hospital at the time of Jennifer's murder, and he had been investigated in 1999, but there was no evidence to link him to the crime other than he was working the day that she disappeared. That was all that they had. Unfortunately, Ricky Sievert died in a car accident in 2001. Ugh, so we're never going to know why. So, right, we won't ever get answers as to why. He won't be brought to justice. But the case was closed with Ricky Sievert being, like, everyone saying, like, from the mm-hmm. from the police department, they were like, this is who the killer is. But we can't, like, prosecute him or, or yeah, do anything did. about it because he's dead. I mean, at least he died, like, two years after he did something awful. It makes me wonder if he— like he lived, like, a great life for 20 years Yeah, after. I was like, I feel—I wonder—it makes me wonder if he would have killed again because he got away with it. Like, what were the circumstances? Yeah. Like, why did he do it? And was it his first time? And would he have done it again? Did he do it again? He had two years. So the next uh, victim that we're going to talk about is a little girl. Her name was Shabon McGinnis. Mm-hmm. This was in February of 1974. She was five years old when she disappeared walking home from a friend's house down the block in Missoula, Montana. Mm -hmm. This was a neighborhood that it was a family neighborhood for kids to be out walking around without a parent was not that peculiar, especially in 1974 in Montana. Um, But like it wasn't unusual for her to be by herself, but she wasn't far away. She was down the block and she was coming home from a friend's house and she disappeared. Her body was found two days later, mm. 10 miles away from where she lived, and her body was left in drain pipe off of I-90. Ugh. She died from blunt force trauma, stabbing, and she had been sexually assaulted. The case has been reopened periodically over the last 40 year, or 46 years, it's almost 50 years. And she, her family, like, continued to keep looking. Everyone, the um, the FBI was looking into it. But they didn't really have new evidence. They just kept reopening the case every 10 years, trying to find something new that would come open. Mm-hmm. Um, but advances in technology every time would lead to something new. But one of the biggest things was using DNA. And early on in D- DNA usage, especially in like the, the 90s, you couldn't really confirm with DNA. All you could u- do was like disqualify with DNA. Mm-hmm. Like you could say... Like, this wouldn't match up with 99.994% of the population can be disqualified. And that person definitely isn't it. I can't disqualify this person. So he's in the 0.006% of the population that I can't say didn't do it. Um, So it was easy to be able to rule people out, but it wasn't easy to be able to find new information. Mm -hmm. So 2019... 
through the use of forensic um, genealogy. I can't even talk. (laughs) Forensic genetic genealogy. They were able to make a family tree, and it led to a man named Richard William Davis. Davis was 32 at the time of the crime, and he wasn't someone who knew the family. He was someone who was just passing through Missoula in a car that matches witness descriptions. So people had seen a car like around the neighborhood, but nobody knew who it belonged to, and he owned the car that matched those descriptions. Davis had died in Arkansas in 2012 at the age of 69. He was never brought to justice, and he has been linked to one other attempted kidnapping in 1973, which was the year before that Siobhan went missing, and the FBI believes that he may have had more victims afterward. Oh, 100%. He is still being investigated. Yeah, no, he did that, especially if he got away with it, and he's doing the whole interstate and like, yeah, absolutely. He went to another state, did the same thing again. Oh, that's awful. They're all, I want to say that they're all awful. I know. I it's going to be my reaction to all of it. Ugh, awful. So the third victim that we're going to talk about, her name was Wendy Jerome. And she died in November of 1984. She was 14 years old. It was Thanksgiving. And Wendy had left Thanksgiving dinner to go down, um, again, just down the street to deliver a birthday card to a friend. She was supposed to be gone less than an hour. She left, like, after 7. She was supposed to be home before 8 o'clock, and she wasn't home by 8 o'clock. Her parents immediately called the friend's house, called the police, and Wendy's body was found just three hours later behind a school near the house. Oh, that was fast. Fast. Really quickly, like, she was taken and she was killed. She had been sexually assaulted and beaten to death. Oh, in 2000, developments in DNA technology led to the elimination of suspects, but no new suspects. Mm -hmm. Forensic genealogy led investigators in 2019 to a 56 year old man named Timothy L. Williams of Melbourne, Florida. Williams was 20 at the time that Wendy was murdered, and he had lived close to the family in Rochester, New York. But the families did not know one another. DNA taken from Williams in 2019 matched the DNA found at the crime scene in 1984. He was arrested in 2020, and he's been extradited to New York awaiting trial. Wow. The statute of limitations had run out for the sexual assault, but he was charged with second-degree murder. All right. Well, that counts. That does count. At least he was alive. We got one. We got one. The last two murders you'll hear about next week. Hey! 70's got a two-parter. Are you on the edge of your seats? Hold on to your butts. You got to wait another week. Hold on, wait another week. So with some of these, even though the the killer never found justice, being able to answer these questions for a lot of the families at least provided some closure that Mm -hmm. they never had. And some of these people waited 20, 30, 40, 50 50 years years to hear what happened to their their children, to their wife, to their loved ones, to whomever. So I'm I'm like, this is definitely not fun content, but I think it's I think it's important. And I think that it's. A really important conversation when it comes to the the use of exactly. I'm kind of like I, 
I go back and forth as well where I'm just like, I don't mind my DNA if it's used for that. But like, what if somebody gets it and does something they shouldn't? Right. What are the, what are the scopes of this? And with every, with every science, there's a way that it can be tainted and used badly. And because I'm not a person who tries to do those things, it's hard for me to think of how, but I'm sure there are ways. There are people who love to find ways to misuse Oh, technology and information. Yeah, always. And of course, the greater implications are like, how will this be used against people of color? Because a lot of these facial recognition technologies and things like that are not, they're, they're trained, those technologies are trained by looking at white faces. And a lot of times it makes it really hard for them to even distinguish black faces, let alone like the differences between them. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the many greater implications of using something like this. But for this particular, for these particular cases, it worked out for the best. Um, And people are being given answers that they never had in Mm -hmm. many, many years of wondering. So we will get to the last two next week. I have two more for you, and that's where we'll start the episode. And I will tell you about two more murders that were solved in 2020 through the use of genealogical uh, or genetic genealogy. Genetic genealogy. Forensic genetic genealogy. It is a mouthful. It is. And then the other, because the other one is genealogical phenotype. That's where genealogical comes in. But yeah, it's a mouthful. Mouthful. Well, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. You should totally support our podcast. (laughs) You can do that in one of many ways. One is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have one, five, ten, and fifteen dollar tiers with awesome rewards. You can also buy merch from our website, deadtimestories.com, and there are totally free ways you can support our podcast. We love getting emails at deadtimestories at gmail.com, and the best way, of course, that you can support us is to give us a five-star review on any place that you listen to podcasts, but especially in the Apple Podcast Store. And like we mentioned, we know you got more than one email, so yeah, get on there, make several those emails, accounts. make other reviews. Leave Stephanie and I already did it, so like we're tapped so out. Like, do it, okay? Yeah, we know. Okay. We know you got it. That's it. Use I'm Stephanie. Power. I'm Sarah, and this has been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Ferguson. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 